I don't think there's any way to start the year 2020 without someone playing with that word picture of vision, 2020 vision. And I really don't think there's any way to start a new year without talking about your vision for the future and God's vision for your life. And so we'll be talking about that over the next five weeks. How is your vision for 2020? Is it 2020? I know that's cheesy, but you'll remember it. Optical illusions for me are both fun and frustrating. How many of you need help after watching some of those happen? Like, how in the world did they do that? It's amazing what can be done to play tricks on your eyes. The problem is what you see dictates your behavior. What you see dictates your behavior. If you see something you perceive to be a threat, you'll respond based on what you see. If you see something that appears to be a blessing you'll respond based on what you see it's why people die in the desert sometimes charging toward what looks like a body of water only to discover it's a light reflecting off the sand and that mirage of water is gone there's much discussion at the beginning of a new year about vision about your vision for the future about a church's vision for ministry about a business's vision for impacting their market share and I think for all of us it becomes really important to understand that our spiritual life is dependent on our spiritual vision the verse that is almost always used is in the book of Proverbs chapter 29 where there is no vision the people perish how many have heard that before where there's no vision the people perish but he that keepeth the law happy is he so you have this picture of not being able to see the, the, what's ahead of you, and the end result of that is destruction, perishing. The NIV takes a little different twist, um, and it goes like this. Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Where there's no revelation of God, when there's no insight of the supernatural, people cast off restraint. And when they do that, um, they will be destroyed also read it in a translation I have called Young's Literal Translation. Young's Literal Translation endeavors to do an actual word-for-word -word translation. It's very difficult to read because the sentence structure in English and the sentence structure in Greek or Hebrew are not the same. So they don't worry about the structure. They worry about the word translation. And Young's Literal translates it this way. Without a vision is a people made naked. And whoso is keeping the law, oh, his happiness. Without a vision is a people made naked. We are without covering. We are shamed. We're without protection. A people is made naked. That's how important your spiritual vision is. So I was thinking about that, and I thought about the visions that people had in Scripture. And I want to clarify something to start to not be misunderstood. I'm not an allegorical preacher. I don't believe in allegorical preaching. Let me tell you what that means. Allegorical preaching is when you take a real biblical event and you, you, um, you, you so dismantle it and give all the meanings to everything in that story that the story no longer has any meaning. The story is lost in the figurative application given to the story. So, what do, what do I mean by that? Jonah was swallowed by a whale. That's a real story. The application to the story is, as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. So you can have an application to the story, but then some people will go so far to tell you that the smell in the whale's belly smelled like hell. You know, I mean, he had those experiences, but what I'm trying to say is you have to be really careful about the allegorical lessons you draw. I'm not an allegorical preacher, but I do believe that in the visions they saw, there is something that we need to learn that will help us 
on our spiritual journey. Is that making sense to you? Just want to establish that at the start. So we're going to look at some of those. We're going to start with Isaiah. One of my favorites is Isaiah chapter 6. If you want to turn there, you can follow along. Isaiah chapter 6, the first verse. What did Isaiah see? Well, it says that he saw the Lord. And my prayer and hope for you in the year that's ahead of us is that you too will see the Lord. But it's what he saw when he saw the Lord that becomes really important to us and I want to challenge you with this morning. What did he see when he saw the Lord? First, he saw the Lord exalted. It's really interesting how this chapter begins. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw him exalted. But I want you to not skip over that first phrase, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, that could be simply an historical marker, but it really wouldn't be necessary to the story. I'm going to draw an application that I believe is true, and that is that it was in the year that Uzziah died that he saw the Lord. Uzziah was a good king, but Uzziah was in between his vision of God and himself. He saw Uzziah. Now, how does that apply? I've seen that happen over and over again. People get their eyes on good people, and that gets in the way of their serving Jesus. So they will serve Jesus because of someone they admire. That's not good enough. Or they'll quit serving Jesus because somebody failed. That's not acceptable. We can't base our faith on somebody getting between us and Jesus. And good things can get in the way of better things. I remember years ago, a man that I admired greatly, Jimmy Swaggart, and the ministry is going on today and doing great things. But I remember when Jimmy Swaggart fell. I remember when David Crabtree fell and the impact that all had and the devastation it had on my faith. And I realized that my faith can't be in whether a minister succeeds or not or whether you do well or not or whether you live for Jesus or not or that board member was good or bad or that, that, that Sunday school teacher good or bad doesn't matter because our faith can't be in men on earthly thrones. Our faith can only be on the King of kings and Lord of lords who sits supreme on the heavenly throne. Is there anyone in the house this morning? Our eyes have to be on Jesus regardless of how people behave. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. We're in chapter 6 already, and it's not until chapter 6 that we get an account of Isaiah's calling. Before he could receive the fullness of his calling, he had to see the Lord. And so I just want you to ponder for a moment. Is there someone you have your eyes on more than you have on Jesus? We have second-generation Christians that can't really follow Christ because their faith has never become theirs. It's the faith of their parents or the faith of their friends or the faith of someone else. I'm saying to you that the essence of spiritual vision is your Uzziah has got to get out of the way and you've got to get your eyes on the king who sits on the throne. He must be exalted in our eyes. Not just good, not just high. He saw the Lord exalted, high and exalted, seated on a throne. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together, that he's the head of the body, the church, he's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything what he might have the supremacy, so that in everything he might have the preeminence. It means to be first in rank or influence, and the context is the definition of the church. What is the church? The church are those who have put Jesus high and lifted up on the throne and have their eyes focused on him as the one who is above all. The church has to be about Jesus. It can't be about benevolence apart from Jesus. It can't be about ministry apart from Jesus. He has to be exalted or we're just a social service group or we're just a club. It's not about what we do or where we gather. Are you hearing me this morning? It's about Jesus having the preeminence and everything being about him. When I was in Bible college, a good friend of mine, good friend of mine, and I mean no disrespect, but Pastor Larry, he, he wasn't the brightest bulb in the chandelier. How many, how many know, how many resemble that remark? You know, I'm the dim bulb in the chandelier. 
Daryl was so fun. And there was, I'll never forget this. This marked his entire Bible college career. He was writing his name in one of his textbooks while we were singing a chorus. We sang a chorus before every class. And he's thinking, for some people, that's three tasks that cannot be done together. He's writing, he's singing, and he's thinking. And those don't, know, all, those don't inform each other all the time. And what he was thinking was, this could be dangerous. While he's thinking this could be dangerous and he's beginning to write his name and singing the song, Daryl Watts wrote his name in his book as Daryl Werrell. <laughs> and you think we ever let him forget that? Not a chance. Daryl Watts became Daryl Werrell. Well, Daryl Werrell Watts was going to speak in chapel and uh, I asked him what he was going to speak on and he said the title of my message is don't make Jesus number one and I thought okay I'm sitting at the back of that class when the power when the fire of God hits him and consumes him I don't want to be close to that don't make Jesus number one he didn't ask for my input he seemed pretty confident went on his way and I was content to let Daryl Werrell swim by himself but this bulb that wasn't maybe the brightest was not an A student by any stretch gave one of the most profound applications of scripture I've ever heard he said you can't make Jesus number one that implies something else is number two and your distance between one and two might only be this much he can't be in a close second place he is above all <laughs> he is supreme everything is measured by him we have eyes only for him and he began to explain that and expound that as God's spirit came on him and that has challenged me ever since it's not that Jesus is in my top 10 he's not one of my top five faves he's not he's not on that list he is all and in all is Jesus he is above all things because of him all things consist in church it's time to get our eyes off of, off of the things that we do and the things we want people to see and have them get our eyes on Jesus. Is he exalted in your eyes? Where do you place him? Do you know the problem with the contemporary church is we've turned Jesus into a bellhop. We've turned him into a next door neighbor. We've turned him into a friend. We've turned him into someone that sits at church with us. He's He's our, our spare tire, or we pray for him to take the wheel when he should be driving the car. We have to lift him more than someone we call on when we're in trouble. He is the supreme God of the universe. I saw him high and lifted up. And my prayer for 2020 is that you will also see him higher than he is right now in your mind that you'll see him lifted up, sitting on a throne. You have to see him exalted. But then, you need to see him glorified. Those are not the same. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted and his, on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I saw him exalted, and then I saw him glorified. The train are the skirts of his vesture. It represents his glory. And when he saw him high and lifted up, he saw the train, the, the vesture, the, the train that follows behind was too big to be contained by the temple. And it filled it. And we've got to see his glory, the majesty and the wonder and the splendor that we truly see him as awesome in the truest sense of the word. Kings of old wore elaborate robes to signify their... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just have already preached this, so I know where I'm going. <laughs> Kings of old wore elaborate robes to signify their majesty and authority. The longer the train, which was the back of the robe, the more powerful the king. Now, are you ready for this? 
after a king defeated an army in battle, he'd cut off a portion of the defeated king's robe and have it sewn onto the train of his robe. Hence, the longer a king's robe, the more victories he had won and the more authority he possessed. Robes are symbols of love, authority, power, and victory. The longer the train, the more the victories of the king. I'm telling you that our king has a train and sewn on behind him are all the false Christs and the Antichrist and the power of the enemy that have rose up against him. Hitler was going to rule the war world. It's on the, it's on the back of his train. Communism was going to stomp him out. It's on the back of his train. Those that have opposed the working of Christ, he's overcome. It's on the back of his train. Is anybody hearing me this morning? His train is so big that it fills the temple. It can't be contained because his robe is so glorious. No one has ever stood against him and been successful. He said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. His train is telling the story. He is victorious, never met an obstacle that he could not conquer, a foe that he could not defeat. It's all there in his train, the more victories of the king. That's why David cut off the hem of Saul's robe. It was an insult to the glory of the king, but our king, <laughs> I said our king isn't one sitting on an earthly throne. He's sitting on a heavenly throne. And when you see him exalted, you'll see his glory. And you haven't seen his glory until you're awestruck, till you tremble before him, till you pull back in awe and reverence and say, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Ezekiel saw him in his glory. And when you read that, you see that it's beyond comprehension. John saw him in the book of Revelation and said, And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. And then you go to chapter 4, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper, a rainbow resembling an emerald circled the throne. And from the throne came what? Flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. Before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. The center and around the throne were four living creatures, and they covered their eyes in front and behind. I'm telling you, he's not a gentle spring rain. He's not a soft, gentle breeze. He is thunder that shakes eternity. He's lightning that flashes in power. And we need to see him not as our bellboy or our bellhop or someone we go to in trouble, but the one who says, peace be still. The one who says, let there be light, and there was, who speaks worlds into existence that makes demons shudder in his presence. I'm telling you, that's the God we need to see, and it's time for the church to see his glory once again. The glorified. Ask me what marked the early church, and it wasn't part of their preaching or the anointing on their worship or their strategies to reach the world as they gathered together. And you'll read about the Shekinah glory of God moving into a room, the power of God that they would lay prostrate under for hours at a time. I am sick and tired of man-made responses to the Spirit of God. But I am so hungry for the genuine moving of the Spirit of God when he comes into a room and takes over and shows his glory. Would to God we would see his train fill the temple again. God, let it be here at Berean. Let it be so. Let us see your glory again. Calm down, I can't. Because this week I was in the throne room and I saw his glory. And I'll never be the same, and nor will you when you visit the throne room and see his train fill the temple. Here's that all. <laughs> Have you seen his glory? <laughs> He's more than a worship song. Uh, 
voice? You've never seen him. Oh, oh. You've never seen him. I said, you've never seen him because you will fall before him as a dead man, as a dead woman, and he will take you by the hand and lift you up because his glory fills. Are you hearing me? His glory fills the temple. <laughs> I can almost hear someone say, boy, he's a little out of control. I feel like David this morning. If this is bad, wait till next week. When you see him, it changes everything about how you respond to him. But that wasn't all. He saw him exalted. He saw him glorified. Now watch. The next thing that happened wasn't that he worshipped. He saw him worshipped. Because our approach to worship, I think, falls so far short from what happens in heaven. Oh, they were around the throne. And they were singing Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He watched them begin to worship. The sound of their voices, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. We pray, God, let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what's, I can tell you what's happening in heaven. <laughs> You, when we argue about worship it's because we've never been in the throne room we want it controlled we want it dignified we want it the way we remember oh I got news for you when they sing up there the doorposts shake Oh, we, we almost got there the other day when uh, someone was doing worship in here and the light fell out of the ceiling over there. And a few days ago, the light fell out of the ceiling over there. And don't worry, I'm not going to turn it up till there's blood in your ears. But I'm telling you, excitement gets loud from time to time. There's a little energy that becomes part of that. Your voice carries on. I'm sure some of you that watch in football games say, go team, go. We, I've been there. I've watched what you do. The excitement that goes with that. You yell. You carry on. We think you need therapy all over a football team. Well, I've been in the throne room and there's a response to that they're praising him in heaven and it's shaking the heavenlies would to God we would experience that kind of power of worship not because we turned up the sound system but because we tuned up our hearts we began to praise him oh. what would it be like if 2020 was a year of worship worship here is not about getting ready getting in the frame of mind getting in the mood to be able to listen to a message so that you can go home and feel better it's not what it's about we are moving into the presence of god and how would you respond if jesus showed up with eyes like flaming fire feet like burnished brass and he showed himself on the platform while we're worshiping. There'd be no one front to back with half-hearted worship. We'd all be engaged. We'd all be responding. You say, well, I don't feel like I have to raise my hands. Well, the Bible says that you should. But I'm going to tell you, when people have seen the Lord high and lifted up, when they have seen him glorified, when they've seen him worshiped, you don't have to talk to them about tithing. They're ready to give. You don't have to talk to them about praying. They're ready to pray. You don't have to talk to them about worship. They're ready to worship because they've seen the one that all creation worships and the one for whom all of earthly creation is groaning today waiting for the revelation of the restoration of the world that we live in. We need to worship. So he saw the Lord exalted he's <laughs> there just every now and then there's just something happening in this room I, I think someday i'm gonna have all of you sit up here and i'll preach out there there's just god's trying to help somebody this morning he saw him exalted he saw him glorified he saw him worshiped and then he began a crusade of healing miracles no after you see him exalted 
after you see him glorified, after you see him worshiped, then you'll see yourself. I saw myself. What happens? Now stay with me. What happens when you see yourself after you see him? Woe is me. I'm undone. Woe is me. The church of Jesus Christ in an age of prosperity has lost sight of repentance and sanctification. Hold up your neighbor's hand if you know there's something in their life they need to change. <laughs> we all have something we need to change, right? We all have something we need to change. But here's what I know. I'm just going to tell you, here's what I know. You can see something in my life and walk up to me and say, Pastor, here's something in your life that needs to change, and I will anoint you with a hot cup of coffee. <laughs> How many know what I'm saying? Yeah. Nobody likes that. You say, oh, no, I really want that. No, you don't. No, you don't. I can prove it in about 30 seconds. Let's talk in the lobby. I can prove it. Because in over 40 years of ministry, I've never had anyone say, Pastor, thank you so much for helping me see where I need to grow. They want me to see how they have grown and affirm that, but they don't want to see the other side. And I don't either. I don't either. I don't want to hear your stuff about me. <laughs> Is there anyone in the house today? You're all acting like, oh, no, I love to get beat up. I just, I just love it. But I'll tell you what does happen when I've been in his presence and I see him in the light of his glory. I don't have an argument anymore. Hello? I don't have an argument anymore. And God's immediate response when he said, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. That's all it took. That's all it took for an, as, uh, one of the created beings to go over to the altar and get a coal of fire. Do you know where the fire is? It's always on the altar. Went over to the altar and got a coal of fire and brought it back and cleansed his lips. There's no berating. There's no beating up. It's like, now, son, you've seen it, and now I can do something with you, and I'm going to purge that out of you. And when you've been touched with a coal of fire from off the altar, everything changes on the inside of you. God can do in a moment what can't be done by the hands of human intervention. I have a moment. One of my Old Testament altars that I go back to was when I was in I was in junior high. I was a Bible quiz. They were supposed to be studying Bible quiz. And uh, we're sitting in the living room and we're watching Hee Haw. How many remember Hee Haw? You know what I've discovered when I look back at some of those old shows? That's a pretty vulgar show. It's a really vulgar show. It's not just corny and stupid. It's vulgar. Why would you feed on that? It's what's wrong with America today? We grew up on Elaw. <laughs> and I felt God convict me. Now watch. I want you to hear this carefully. He didn't tell me that what I was watching was wrong. He said, I have something better for you. And where you should be is not sitting here watching this but I want you to spend some time with, I'm a junior higher. I got up to go to my bedroom and I didn't say anything to my family like, you pagans, quit watching this, you're all going to hell. They can do what they want. Are you hearing me? When he touches you, it's about you. It's not about your neighbor. If it becomes about you and your neighbor, he didn't touch you. When he touches you, it's about you. I got up and started to walk to my bedroom and I'm telling you, I can remember today as the cleanest I'd ever felt in my life. And that feeling that I had of cleanness, of being light, of being free, wasn't because, you got to hear me now, it wasn't because of what I was walking away from. It's what I was walking toward that made me feel clean. You can walk away from one bad thing to another. You can walk away from a bad thing. It's not good enough. It won't help you. It's what I was walking toward. I had something in the way and said, I'm undone, and a coal of fire touched me, and I was never the same after that. The cleanest I'd ever felt. Isaiah said, I'm undone, 
and a coal of fire from off the altar touched him. <laughs> what happens next? See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Do you know what that feels like? How many of you know what that feels like? It's the greatest feeling in the world when that load is taken off your back, when your sin is purged. And the very next thing wasn't, there's some classes you need to take. The very next thing was, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The very next thing was God's calling on his life. And he said, the same Isaiah that said, woe is me, I'm undone. He saw his brokenness and the brokenness of the world around him. When he saw that and the coal of fire touched him, whom shall I send? Who will go? Here I am. Send me because there comes at that moment a call to fulfill God's purpose in your life. When you've been touched by him, there's a world that needs to be reached, a world that needs to be touched. I saw the Lord. <laughs> and he called me to where a people who were also undone. Oh, does that mean I'll get a class? Does that mean I get an office? Oh, you need to get back the altar. Does that mean I'll get a position? Does that mean someone will recognize my gifts? Does that mean I'll get to speak? Does that mean I'll get to sing? Does that, what does it mean I'll get to do? Oh, no. No, when you've been touched by a coal of fire, it's where will you send me? It's ministry out there to a lost and dying world. His call came because he'd been in the presence of God. I will go. Now listen to this. Your life direction rests on your divine perception. Your divine direction rests on your divine perception. Do you know why churches fight? Do you know why they get stagnant? Do you know why people quit giving? Do you, you know why? Do you know why they run from one church to another trying to find something that satisfies? It's because they've not seen the Lord. When we first came to Berean, there were a number of changes that we made in the facility. And uh, when we were praying this morning and I was thinking about what God's done in this place I remember when we got this wall, this video wall, and one of our church leaders said to me, one of our denominational leaders said, yeah, if you do that, you're going to grow by at least 10 to 15%. Well, that didn't happen, but it's still a great wall. I like the wall. I'm glad it's there. It, it helps us do things better. I think we have one of the great worship leaders in the country and a great worship team backing him up. I'm glad for what they do. I'm glad for the leadership team we have, the gifts that are being released, the church being the church. We've got a great children's department and a great uh, youth department. I appreciate all that they do. You can give them a hand as well. We've got a great board and we've got great leaders. I'm thankful for all of that. But I don't want someone to come and say, I saw a great wall. I don't want someone to say, I came and I saw a great worship service. I don't want someone to say, I came and I saw great leaders. I don't want someone to say, I came and heard a great preacher. I want people to come and say, I was there on Sunday and I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. I'll tell you what will happen on that day. The eyes of the blind will open. The mouths of the of the mute will speak ears of the deaf will hear the dead will be raised because church what our world needs is not a better product it needs a better vision we need to see him high and lifted up and there are moments that he will give you that vision yesterday at the service i was asked to speak my sister um, asked her son my nephew if i would speak she didn't ask me because i'd have said no not at your not at my sister's funeral 
So she waited till she died to ask me, and that was her way. She was going to have the last word no matter what. But I saw the Lord yesterday. He gave me a word for one of our family members. I thought I would tell her privately, but I called her out while I was speaking and told her what I felt like God told me to tell her and watched Jesus just wrap his arms around her as she melted and cried and talked to me afterwards. I'm telling you that when you're out there and you get a chance to pray for someone or minister to someone or help someone, you'll say, I saw the Lord and his train filled the temple. Here am I, send me. Are you bored with your Christianity? You just need to see the Lord. Are you doubting your faith? You just need to see the Lord. Are you wondering what He has for you? You need to see the Lord. I talked to a young man recently who said, I don't see him anywhere. He said, he needs to see the Lord. And where are they going to see it? When they see him in us. Is there anyone in the house this morning? I'm telling you what. I saw the Lord. Here's what God spoke to me yesterday. Somebody here, what I'm saying is resonating with you. And there's something going on in your life that you need to see the Lord. Doubting, tired, struggling. You're saying, in the midst of my situation, kind of lost my way, I've lost my passion, I've lost my zeal. I'm doubting, wondering, I'm not sure. It doesn't make you a bad person at all. Say, Pastor, I need to see the Lord. I need to see Him. I want you to get up and come to the front right now. I want you to stand up and come. I know you're here. You need to come. I need, in my life, I have a situation that I need to see the Lord. I need to see the Lord. I'm going to wait just a moment for you to come. I need to see the Lord. In my life right now, I'm in a, facing a situation that I need to see the Lord. Now, I want you to listen to me really closely because what happens next, some are going to struggle with. You, oh, he's going to whoop us up now. He's going to make us shout, going to make us dance. We've heard the message. He's going to expect something out of us. Todd, I don't want anything out of you. I just want you to ask the Lord to show himself to you. I want you to worship him and say, Jesus, show yourself to me. Everyone in the house, would you stand? And let's take a few minutes before we go to worship him. Would you join me? Whatever happens next, up to Jesus. But right now, I want you to say, Jesus, I want to see you. I need to see you, Lord. I need to see you, Lord. I need to see you, Lord. High and lift it up. He will show himself alive to you. Come on, church. Call out to him right now. Call his name. I need to see the Lord. Light of the world. You stepped out into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you.
I saw him, Pastor Larry, I saw him walk into the room. I saw him walk into the room. And she said, Jesus, I'm so tired. I don't want to do this anymore. And he took his hand and took her hand and said, then just come on home with me. I saw the Lord. You'll never see him as long as you play church and play Christian. But put yourself in a place where you need him and you'll see him. You'll see him. I want the year that's ahead of us to be a place where people say, I went to Brian Sunday and I saw the Lord. It was during worship and I came carrying a load and I saw the Lord. I came in broken in body and he touched me. I saw the Lord. We're going to make some changes in 2020 that I feel like the Lord has placed on my heart. We're going to follow through with those because this needs to be more than a place that we have a church service. It needs to be a place where we have church. And the church has always been about lives being changed. I'm going to do my best to preach the best message I can bring. I know our team will prepare the best to lead the best worship service they can. Our department's youth and children will be doing their absolute best to do the best they can do. But in this generation, that's not enough. With evil abounding on every hand, with churches running down rabbit holes of compromise, I am tired of having an intellectual debate over doctrine. It's time to say, come here and we'll, you'll see the Lord. You'll see the Lord. With your neighbors and friends, this needs to be a year that we see the Lord. Who will go for us? I will go. Send me. I'll be your voice. I'm, I'm trying to stop. I really am. I'm almost done. But some months ago, and the staff can tell you this whole story, a woman that attended here sat in my office and prophesied ill over me and my family, declared destruction over our household. And the end of that was, she said to me, you will lay down your sword and never pick it up. I was in a battle just recently. I'm sitting... I'm sitting at my desk saying, God, is it time to put down my sword? And there was a letter laying there from someone who used to attend our church, moved to another part of the country. I want you to watch this because it landed on my desk the immediate moment I needed. I get so irritated at USPS. But even God knows how to get the mail through. I'm remembering that prophecy. Maybe they were right. And then the thought went through my mind. The only part I can control is what I do with my sword. And Gene, I'm not putting it down. I'm not putting it down. And I opened that letter. And this letter went on. Someone that's never written to me went on about the church and how much they miss the church and all that and then toward the end said something that was completely out of context with the letter it said Pastor Gary don't ever stop fighting it's what you do best I saw the Lord are you hearing me I'm saying to you church if we're going to move forward there will be some battles Put yourself in a spot you need him, and you'll see the Lord. 
sit in the back, don't do anything, try to get through to Monday, you'll never see anything, but engage the battle, and you'll see the Lord, and he'll be high and lifted up. Is there anybody in the house? He'll be high and lifted up, and his train will fill the temple. There's the same prophetic anointing in the room right now there was in first service, and I'm telling you, God's going to put some of you in a spot where you're going to say, I need to see him. And you're going to be the voice of God in the demonstration of who he is in the middle of a dark place. And you'll walk out from there saying, today, today, I saw the Lord. And I'm hearing the angels cry, holy Holy, holy. Let's believe for that kind of 2020. How many of you will agree with me for that kind of a 2020? Amen. God bless you. Turn and shake someone's hand. Will you tell them, I want to see the Lord. I want to see the Lord. Be a blessing to somebody today.